You're listening to the ProcureTech Podcast, your weekly show for all that's cooking in the digital procurement space. Yes, we've got the hottest startups, thought leadership and conversation from visionary industry experts and definitely no stiff corporate content. I'm your host, James Meads, procurement pro, digital nomad and ProcureTech fanboy. And now here's this week's show. Yes, welcome to another episode of the ProcureTech podcast, where every week we bring you all that is fun, exciting and innovative in the digital procurement space. And this week, we're going to be looking into a very, very relevant topic because we're going to be talking all about supply chains and specifically, where does the line of responsibility lie between procurement and supply chain? which then sort of nicely leads to the other question, which is, should we be concentrating on better understanding our multi-tiered complex supply chains rather than just purchasing software to better uh, track and trace shipments? It's a bit of a loaded question, and I'm sure we're going to have a great debate about this because my guest today is an expert in the logistics and the supply chain field, who is Tobias Larsen from Altana AI. Tobias, welcome. Thank you. Nice to be on the show. James? Awesome. So before we kick off with the bulk of the interview, just give the listeners a little bit of background about yourself and and how you got involved with Altana, and then maybe just tell us briefly what Altana does, because I think that sets the scene quite nicely for what we're going to sort of move on to talk about. Yes, absolutely. Um, Well, basically, I started my career with the in supply chain logistics, well, actually, my my career with um, with uh, in uh, logistics with DHL. Uh, so it's um, a long time ago now. But I started as a management trainee and had a great opportunity to um, actually uh, work as a courier. Um, you know, work in terminals, night shifts, take uh, calls, and customer service. So um, I would say I really learned the nuts and bolts of the business, which was very very helpful and. Um, then went on to kind of work in different sales roles and uh, sales roles and freight and, and express type of sales. Uh, eventually moved on to work with innovation, which was sort of almost my my big passion. Uh, I've been a part of a startup before, uh, joining DHL and DHL had a, a DHL Innovation Center where we had a strong focus on looking at uh, sort of the pain points of customers and developing new solutions within DHL that could make DHL a more strategic partner to customers and. Um, and there I was sort of, I came into um, the topic of uh, supply chain risk. Um, it was 2011. Uh, we just had, a, you know, the, the earthquake in Japan, which disrupted supply chains uh, globally uh, in an unprecedented way. Um, and many companies could just not, you know, <clears throat> understand if they were disrupted. Um, uh, they didn't understand, you know, where their suppliers were located in Japan and so on. So we really took that on and developed um, a supply chain risk solution, which we called Resilience 360. Um, which later was actually, it went really well and we had a good growth and a good number of uh, customers joining us, uh, new customers every year and, and eventually decided to um, take that out on DHL and, and, um, and um, carve it out and, and it became its, its own business, which is Everstream Analytics. So I had a very strong background in supply chain risk and uh, always been very passionate about that and helping co- companies to manage risk and um, and uh, about a year ago, a little bit more than a year ago, I joined Altana AI. The, the ambition of Altana AI is really to uh, create a living map of supply chains, a single source of truth of global supply chains. And 
uh, using different AI models to achieve that. And I think our CEO likes to call it the, the Google Maps of supply for you know business to business commerce. And I think that's a really appropriate way to call it. Uh, and it's really about sort of creating multi-tier visibility of supply chain networks, extended networks of supply chains, and using billions of data sets. We use a variety of different data, um, so shipment data, bill of lading data, business registry data, ownership data, really uh, millions and billions of data sets that we stitch together with these AI models to be able to uh, give a better picture of who is trading with whom, you know, which suppliers trading with which suppliers, how are they connected, uh, what products are they shipping, what goes between different uh, suppliers, where are they situated in the world, where are their factories located, um, and ultimately be able to do uh, value chain predictions, really to say, uh, what does the value chain of a specific product looks like? You know, what, what suppliers are involved, not just in the first tier, but in the second tier and the third tier. And and this sort of global map of supply chains, we, we offer that up and um, and uh, companies are able to kind of situate themselves in that and say, okay, what what does my supply chain map look like? You know, what does my value chain look like? You know, who are my uh, tier one suppliers, tier two suppliers? What are the situation of those suppliers? So if you think about that from a procurement point of view, um, it's really helps to better understand the situation your suppliers are in, you know, you know, are you a very important customer to that supplier? Um, what other customers do they have? What does sort of the, the, the spread of their volumes look like? Uh, who are they sourcing from? Or do they have potential bottlenecks maybe in the, the second tier? So your second tier, what does the sort of capacity situations look like? You know, are they getting the same type of volume of shipments as usually from supply from their suppliers? And really give a more rounded view of, of your suppliers and uh, and uh, the situations in their bill of materials and, and so on. So it's really you know a deeper way to look into uh, the supply chains that you know over the years have become so complex. Um, very much focused on outsourcing. I think I will come come back talk about some of the, the latest trends. Uh, but very so sort of global and complex complex supply chains that are very hard to manage today. And we've seen that you know predominantly with uh, with the COVID induced sort of supply chain issues that we had that many of Many of the issues that companies have today aren't uh, with the direct suppliers. Um, if you think about a semicon issue, it's really a tier two issue to the automotive industry. So, right, uh, really much deeper down in the supply chain. So, uh, so yeah, that's the focus of Altana, really to to enhance uh, the visibility and, and there's uh, you know and to feed other applications and procurements and sustainability and compliance. Uh, to to you know enhance basically the visibility, which I think is one of the main issues supply chain visibility in terms of managing risk and uh, supply chains today. Okay, so it's becoming more and more clear then that there has to be greater collaboration in the future between both corporate procurement at a more strategic level, but also local procurement at a more operational level with the wider supply chain function. So. Clearly, we're talking here about manufacturing businesses, but with all of the experience that you've had in the past, are you starting to see a move away from procurement reporting into the CFO or maybe into a business unit? And instead now, are you starting to see that shift to it reporting into supply chain or into the COO? Um, yeah, I would I would say so, definitely. Um so I think we all can sort of, um, or many of us can subscribe to the sort of notion that procurement has uh, has sort of a bit of a, this, this policing character over it, right? So um, it's responsible for, you know, uh, defining requirements and uh, 
making RFIs, RFQs, you know, selecting the, the, the supplier that has the best value to, um, against the cost and so on. And it's been a very sort of, you know, strict process, I guess, in many companies and uh, f- for good reasons. But I would really much say in terms of what, what's happening in the market space today, you know, think, looking at some of the trends, uh, some people like to call it the new supply chain normal. I think we'll see that you know this new supply chain normal with bottlenecks, these capacity shortages, uh, these transportation issues that we've seen, and then the latest Ukraine Russia issue that you know it's 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 really going to take some while until we get back to some some like it was before where where you know you could have a very much sort of just in time supply chains and and um, and I'd say like in the past I think procurement. So it took a bit of the role of pushing the liability, you know, upstream in the supply chain. So expecting suppliers to be able, always able to deliver, uh, expecting suppliers to keep the necessary stock for that, um, measuring on-time performance and so on, and, and working along those lines. Uh, but I think, you know, in, in the last sort of two years and much, much you know, due to COVID, uh, that doesn't really work anymore, right? So if you just point your fingers at suppliers and saying, okay, why are you not able to deliver if they don't, they can't get access uh, to the materials they need or they're, they're the supplies that they have. Or, for example, in a lockdown now with Leisting in Shenzhen, where 70 million uh, people are, are quarantining, um, it, it just doesn't work to sort of expect them to deliver on, on short notice uh, with short deadlines. But I think it's just completely changing into a much more collaborative uh, environment where you could need to create trusted networks with your suppliers and together with them kind of manage risk and, and understand uh, if you have issues, what you can do about them and creating more this common sort of value chain visibility. So worst case, you know, um, working to kind of re-engineer certain products, you know, taking out features or finding new suppliers or, you know, shifting parts or in, in the best case, maybe just kind of rearranging your production network or changing your location. So I think procurement, you just kind of, you know, being the policing function is not going to uh, it's not going to work anymore. And especially now if you think about sort of finding more inventory, and I think you had a similar discussion in a, in a previous podcast and, um, where you talked about um, Anne-Sophie Leblanc about um, finding inventory and, and this necessary of, of speed in finding a, a new inventory So in certain markets. So um, I think that's much more um, the notion today in procurement that you need to be able to have this trusted network with your suppliers to be able to act fast, to, to manage the risk that you see to avoid the over-dependency on certain suppliers uh, in the network. So, um, so yeah, I would, I would very much agree that procurement is going to be much more strategic and, and sort of needs to be much more nimble, uh, being able to work with different scenarios and also being able to um, support maybe if there's a nearshoring uh, activity going on in your company or, or sort of a regionalization of supply chains that it's, it's just going to be changing much faster. And I guess I'm talking predominantly, as you said, a little bit for manufacturing supply chains and, and so direct spend, but uh, that's sort of the world that I've been living in the last couple of years. Hey, so just a quick interlude to let you know about procurementsoftware.site. This is a new website that I recently launched to give you, the listener, a free-to-access intuitive guide to digital procurement technology. You can filter on a multitude of different criteria and pick out a short list of procurement software solutions that are relevant to your business and your needs in less time than it takes to boil an egg. 
no corporate subscriptions, no complex jargon, and definitely no pay-to-play model. We are a completely transparent, open book, and we really want to get your feedback on what we can really do to make this user experience better and constantly improve so as we're providing value to you. Check out procurementsoftware.site. And now let's get right back to this week's podcast. And and, and in fairness, Tobias, I think that's where the majority of supply chain risk is going to come from. I mean, yes, you need to, I would, I would include things like spare parts and operating supplies within that segment as well, but we're not really talking about toner for the printer or anything like that. It's really around anything that you need to run your production plant. So yeah, I think, I think we're on the same page there. I'm glad that you mentioned nearshoring because that's something that I would like to expand on a little bit more. So the most extreme example of managing risk is just to say, okay, let's let's nearshore or, or onshore our whole supply chain to to the extent that that you can. I mean, you can't you can't source rare earth metals in from most European countries, for example, or or, or, or tropical tropical fruit or or, or or cotton. But let let's just, let's just say, for practical purposes, your goal is to 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 nearshore or onshore, onshore as much of your supply base as as you can on the one hand i guess you're not you're still not going to eliminate all of your risk by doing that but then if i flip it and sort of ask the other extreme of the question could you through a software platform like altana or other competitive software that's out there still maintain the complexity that you have in your supply chains today you know with a very globalized supply chain and and minimize that risk to a to a to a bare minimum or or is it kind of a mix between both approaches that most companies will probably follow going forward. No, I think I think you'd see like a, a balance between nearshoring and still sourcing from from far away. I mean, yes, of course. I think now the the, the sort of the emphasis is on on nearshoring and, and and reducing the very long supply lines that many companies have had, and I think that's that that's fair to look at that. I mean, it's also become a little bit of a national interest to make be able to make sure that there's more nearshoring or very critical. Uh, things like semiconductor, for example, um, bringing that closer to your market. But I think it's, um, I, I, I think, you know, um, the, the, what we work with in Antana AI is really the the notion of trusted networks, really to, whether you're near shore or shore from far away, to be able to just virtually integrate your supplier in a better way into your network and be able to just create better models for trust and understanding um, where the issues are quicker. So, so it's been much more sort of a close book sort of business before. So I think if you, if you are able to better detail your value chain, there has, it has a lot of merit in that in terms of seeing things, uh, you know, f- further ahead, being able to anticipate, you know, even, even with uh, price spikes, we see nickel, for example, now being able to um, manage that in a better way by understanding your exposures to that and, and working with your supply base on it. So even if you have, Far away suppliers just integrating them closer to your business and understanding the role that they have. Um, I think, yeah, in many cases, it also means just having more inventory, right, than than you have before. So I think, yeah, nearshoring is is um, definitely the trend, but it's it's not the, the complete solution. Do you think then around inventory that the shift away from just in time to just in case is going to become permanent? I, I'll think you see a strong rebalancing. So uh, I think. Inventory still costs money, and and uh, you know working capital is still uh, an important aspect of running a business. So sort of just completely a complete shift is not 
you know, not the answer either. So I think that's, that's, that's a rebalancing that, that's going on. I can't see uh, into the future. I, I think the issues we have with supply chain disruptions are, are going to last for, you know, for, for years. And I think uh, th- there may be a situation where we go back to something that like it was before in a couple of years. But um, I think companies will be much more careful now. And it's not just in terms of just inventory or just in time, it's also in terms of, you know, the, the geopolitics you see in the world today, like the, the world's just not as it was before. And, and uh, it's just necessary to uh, be more mindful where you source from. And, and if you have long supply chain, uh, supply lines to have more inventory, I think people have learned a lesson on that. So I, I don't see really that it's going to go back to, uh, you know, an extreme just in time. And I guess as well, I mean, Brexit is probably the most obvious example of this, but there's going to be more more of a shift towards more nationalistic policies, I guess, in terms of trade as well, which is going to impact that too. Yes, I think so. Absolutely. I think uh, supply chains have, as never before, been uh, become sort of of national interest. I mean, f- from a U.S. perspective, also from a European perspective, I see. So Intel just got established a new sort of semiconductor plant in, in Germany. So um, I think you'll see. I think sort of you know policymakers have sort of realized just suddenly that supply chains are a very crucial part of, of um, maintaining security in the world. And and of course that doesn't mean that you know every supplier has to be a, a national or local supplier, but um, but sort of for many of the key uh, critical you know components um that's going to be you know more legislation around sort of um ensuring where you know that that uh both ethical and sustainable actually if you think about it from that that aspect as well so there's a uh there's been a huge move towards considering ethical and sustainable aspects in supply chains so i mean the uk had had the modern slavery act for some time uh, france also has a supply diligence act that's been established but then in the us for example now at the end of last year, there's the new uh, forced labor act that came out. Of, uh, you know that sort of demands companies to be able to ensure that they have um, no products coming from Shenzhen in China. You know where there's strong evidence of forced labor activity. That that's in the, that's in the cotton in in the cotton production, right? Pre- predominantly, yes, cotton is tomatoes. It's it's, it's polysilicon, so it's it's really sort of three main commodities. But but the act really says that you know you have to prove that your supplies or your, your products coming from there are not part of, uh, part of forced labor activity. So, you know, the the proof is on the company, right? And um, so you're guilty of otherwise. We have this new supply chain law as well now that's just come into force in, in Germany too, which, which now puts the responsibility, as far as my understanding of it is, on the end, on on the end manufacturer to be responsible for their, you know, second and third tier suppliers too. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, this is going to come in, and Germany is going to come into effect first first of January twenty twenty three. So, companies are really now kind of gearing up to that and saying what, you know, looking at what they need to do. I mean, it's clear that just having sort of some supplier code of conduct that you pass on to your suppliers is not going to work anymore. So, you need to have an active risk management process. Uh, not just a policy, but a process that that where you do actually look at you know your supply base, your suppliers, and even if if there is sort of even if you um, if if there's accusations of some activity or some journalist claims that that you know you're part of an uh, illicit supply chain in the you know third or fourth tier, you have to prove that you're not. So you have to really be able to create that kind of value chain visibility, then sort of on the fly and, and make sure that. Well, if you're part of it, to you know, to provide you know evidence of remedy quickly. Um, so I think it, it, 
there's a total new way of looking at supply chains. And of course, this impacts procurement as well, um, greatly to, to be able to understand. I think in many cases, these type of new requirements, these new legislations coming out, will fall, fall into the responsibilities of procurement. I see that, you know, there are many procurement departments that now have that role to also look at that and, and just, but that nature sort of it's, um, yeah, it's a very different game than before, right? Than just running RFQs. You have to just be much more mindful of which suppliers you select and, and what supply chains and so, uh, you're part of. Yeah, 100%. And and I think going back to the comment that you made a little bit earlier around procurement, historically perhaps being seen as as the policeman, we still are going to be in that respect, but it's going to be much more joined up thinking in terms of, you know, the business has to make these changes from a regulatory and, and compliance perspective. And it will just be, I guess, procurement that is ultimately the function that interacts with the supplier and ensures that compliance, whereas in, where, where, whereas in the past, this type of thing may have come under environmental health and safety in terms of internal policies to make sure that employees are treated fa- fairly and, and that there's a safe workplace. This type of regulatory compliance is now going to be, I guess, the responsible, probably, we don't know, but most likely this, the responsibility of procurement to to ensure that that suppliers comply to the legislation and that and the, and the, the companies have the documentation further to the, to the point you made that to, to prove that if there is an investigation to prove that they're that, that they're innocent and that they're compliant which which kind of then leads me nicely on to what I was going to move on to next which is should we still be focusing on software that that tracks cargo so as you can you know monitor where things are in your supply chain will there still be a need for that or or if we concentrate on better understanding our multi-tiered supply chains do you think the need for that would to a large extent go away because i guess the reason why i'm asking that is it's tracking cargo is very reactive isn't it It, yes it flags when you've got a problem and you know if something's going to dock in in the port later than you expected but it it doesn't solve the problem does it that if you if you haven't got parts you can't produce anything yeah (laughs) yeah you know surprise surprise i would definitely argue for that i mean that there's been an overemphasis on on tracking cargo and um, looking at ETAs. And there's been a lot of innovation in that space and, and huge investments going towards businesses, startups, you know, covering that that sort of aspect. So looking at ETAs, when will something arrive? I think companies can, you know, in many, many areas of their business now can, can predict on the hour when something will arrive and, and, and get delay, delays. And I'm, I'm not saying that that's not important. That's very important, especially in the environment we're in. With, with the huge variability on on shipment times currently, with the port congestions, maybe easing a bit now, but I, I think that is definitely um, something that companies should focus on. But but if you look in on where you put your investment and and how you divide your investment on different activities, I think there's been an underinvestment on on, on understanding your value chain. That, like if you look at some of the statistics, I, I McKinsey has a really nice study about this, and with a large number of companies involved and. It, it, it's sort of appalling. I think it's 20% know something about their tier two of companies asked. And, and, and it's like yeah. 3% know something about their tier three. And then adding to that sort of most disruptions, I would argue, you know, more than 50%, they don't, they don't occur from your, you know, between your direct supplier and yourself, your production sites, but actually in the lower tiers and the sub tiers of the supply chain. So, so I definitely think that, you know, companies would, gain much more value of that type of visibility uh, in this this new environment we're in as well. Like if you think about the commodity price spikes, understanding, you know, to what degree you will be impacted to that, what you need to do in terms of your pricing strategy uh, and your bill of materials, 
I think that's that's um, definitely what I would argue. And actually, it's also a very another study I think by Accenture uh, showing that if you look at your supplier base and if you look at your tier one suppliers, that's you would probably expect to have seven to seventeen times more suppliers in your total supply base across all tiers that are uh, critical and relevant. So you're really just looking at the, the tip of the iceberg if you look at your tier one suppliers. So. So I would argue, yes, I mean, of course, I mean, um, being able to uh, manage delays in your shipments and avoid loss of sales, it's, it's important, will continue to be important. But uh, I think more investments should go to uh, the value chain visibility that I that I mentioned. Yeah, and I would almost counter that to some extent. I mean, I, I agree with what you're saying about knowing your tier twos and tier threes, but I, I'm not convinced that a lot of companies fully understand their tier ones either. And and by that, yeah. I mean, yes, they, they've got a pretty good grasp of, of their top suppliers by, by spend. But when you go down to the long tail, it's the typical Pareto analysis that 80% of your vendor count only accounts for 20% of your spend. And it, you know, if, you buy, if you've got some tail spend, usually tail spend is mostly on indirect commodities. But you know, if you've got tail spend on, on direct suppliers as well, I would, I would hazard a guess that for the most part, companies don't really have a strong grasp on that especially if if they are the type of suppliers that are not actively being managed by procurement save for maybe the a, a price a price negotiation when the supplier knocks on the door asking for a, an increase because <laughs> commodity prices yeah. have gone up no but I mean, correct me if i'm wrong but when you look at these supplier onboarding platforms i'm not going to mention any names now but um, um they never ask you about the, the supplier where you actually manufacture or produce something i mean that type of information is not usually not captured in that process. So, so you're totally right. I think uh, most companies don't even have the right type of visibility on their tier one suppliers. In many, I would say, like up to fifty percent don't know exactly where their tier ones produce something. I mean, of course, they they have the name, you know, their ERP system and so on, and they know how much maybe they spend on the supplier, but they don't know enough about the supply chain in terms of where they actually produce something, the material which is then going into your factories. Uh, and that is critical information to manage supply chain, manage, you know, capacities and so on, understanding like your dependencies in lower tiers. So I think uh, I think you're you're spot on. I think even with the tier yeah. ones, there's a there's a, there's a great uh, lack of visibility. And I think there needs to be some, you know, there definitely just needs to be a change around that. Right. So. Yeah, yeah, no, for for sure, and I think even if they do know, it's often just in someone's head or in an Excel sheet, rather than rather than in a single source of truth or a repository that's that's accessible to all. Which then sort of kind of leads me on nicely to talking a little bit more about about the tech piece. So using technology to to help with 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 third party risk management and and um and, and predictive procurement which is a bit of a buzzword these days what can you focus on there where can, where can you really make a difference because i mean let's be let, let's be honest unless you're a geopolitical expert you pro- you probably wouldn't have been able to predict a a war between ukraine and russia with some smart software but the, there is a lot that you can do on things like regulatory and climate and geopolitical you know natural disasters and cybersecurity right so maybe just walk through some of those aspects that that Altana can can give increased insight on. So I find it interesting again to sort of a study. I really like statistics and different studies, but read a lot. But uh, Gartner brought out um, a pretty recent uh, study about what challenges companies have in terms of managing supply chain risk, and what came on very strongly on top was supply chain visibility again. So I think 
as you said, I agree. Geopolitics are very hard to predict. And um, yeah, the Ukraine-Russia crisis, I think very few in, in the supply chain procurement space, at least, were able to foresee that happening. It's actually my sort of uh, main ma- mantra when it comes to supply chain risk is that uh, predictive you know, risk or predictive procurement, I think you know, predictive risk is what I've been focused on is you, you can try, you can try to be proactive about things. Uh, you should definitely try to see if you have sort of dependencies and lower tiers that, you know, you're a single source on something, uh, for example. Um, but I think the key is always going to be on your reactive capabilities to be able to react fast when something happens because it's impossible to predict, uh, you know, the more, you know, the bigger events that happen that really impact sort of the, the black swans, if you like. Uh, um, so I think, being, you know, having supply chain visibility is what I would, would argue is the, the key thing. Even even in the situation with Ukraine, Russia, which of course, you know, most of us humanitarian crisis and and looking at supply chains is really a secondary thing. But but of course, we still need to keep our supply chains kind of running. And and I think many companies would look at you know their ERP systems and say, okay, well, we have very limited Russia Ukraine exposure, but. Again, like if you think about the second and the third tier, you know, we usually see a ten x. Um, you know more suppliers in the second tier, and then that continues in the third tier. So, if you see, if you think about some of the commodities coming out of Russia, like you know nickel, alumina, titanium, palladium, uh, neon gas from Ukraine, uh, steel in the, in the wider sense, you know, uh, are very critical components in, in so many different products. So, I really argue that sort of you know being able to, to understand now. Your dependency on a situation like that is, is the critical thing, and then there are many different things you can do about it when you when you when you have the visibility and when you can react on something. Uh, I mean, worst case, you would have to kind of try to find alternatives, alternative suppliers, or alternative materials, uh, or you know, change the product. But in other cases, there are things you can do in terms of your own supply base and your own production network to to mitigate the risk. So, but you need to know about it uh, quickly. Uh, and of course, there are third party data sets that can help with certain things like uh, cyber risk assessments or uh, NatCat. I mean, NatCat natural disasters. There, there are lots of models for that in terms of third party models you can use for understanding your flood risk or your quake risk. But they've also been quite wrong actually the last <laughs> 10, 10, 20 years. Uh, probably due to climate change, right? So I don't know if it helps you or what was the answer you were looking for, but I, I would argue that sort of the, the, it starts with sort of the visibility and, uh, and then some of the third-party assets can be helpful, um, but the key is the visibility. So what do you think then is preventing companies from investing in, in this kind of technology? Because it, it sounds on balance like a no-brainer, doesn't it? Because I think most sensible people would admit that this sort of VUCA world is is here to stay for the foreseeable future. So why aren't companies banging down your door to invest in this type of thing? Is it is it just they don't have the capabilities or they don't understand the tech that's on the market or or, or do they genuinely not see the need or the urgency? Uh, great question. I mean, <laughs> I've been in this space for so long, since 2011. <laughs> so I can tell you it was even much harder before COVID. But, but there was a pretty uptake. Right. I mean, as I said, like with the Resilience 360, we had more and more customers every year uh, and we grew, grew nicely. Um, but often then, before COVID, it was all about uh, cost, right? I think in supply chain and procurement, the same, just finding the cheapest supplier, uh, reducing, you know, doing network analysis to to reduce your spend somehow, optimize your cost was the, was the focus. The risk was, you know, came a bit secondary. 
Now I think it's a totally different situation. So I think uh, most companies, softwares in this space are probably seeing stellar growth and uh, and a lot of uptake. Um, no surprise. So I think some of the challenges that they have now, though, is that um, it's it's probably a little bit of lack of talent. So um, this is a very new topic to many. So if you think about working in procurement and then suddenly you have to work with these third-party uh, you know, uh, type of risk data in terms of <laughs> natural disaster type of risk assessments like, like we talked about, like that's, that's totally new data sets that maybe you're not so familiar with. It's not where you were kind of, you know, uh, trained to do. So I think it will take some while to understand what this is all about. And and then it's uh, a lot about the data. I mean, getting the right type of data in place. So many companies have been growing by acquisitions. So they have so many versions of SAP available. And they don't speak and uh, with each other. So they just getting like, as we said before, just getting the visibility on their own suppliers is difficult. Just getting data and, and, and organized so you can do something with it is difficult. Uh, because you need your data in some ways organized to uh, you know, use some of these uh, uh, softwares and, and supply chain risk. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So so that's really what we do a lot of alternative to kind of help companies to get data, uh, you know, your, your supply chain master data organized so that you can then kind of situ- situate yourself in, in the global map of supply chains that you created so you can start to create some better visibility. Um, but it takes time. And also many, many of these sort of things that companies have tried them before, but surveys, like asking your suppliers about things uh, to fill out the survey on a regular basis, they just, they just have been very difficult and often fail. So... So data isn't isn't uh, isn't easy. It's not easy, and and that's what's really required to do uh, sophisticated things uh, in this this regard. Yeah, I, I would certainly agree with you on data, hundred percent. I think that's often an, an obstacle that that procurement leaders maybe incorrectly put in the way to invest in tech because there are systems out there now that can help to to harmonize and, and clean it it's not perfect you will still need some human interaction to validate it but but it's certainly it's a million miles away from where we were just even five years ago so no i, I would completely agree with you there and um, final question tobias if anyone would like to get in, t- in contact with you or learn more about altana what's the best way that they can get in touch well we got a website altana.ai um, um, I'm on LinkedIn a lot, so you can just uh, connect with me on LinkedIn So, um, um, and, and we can take it from there. Awesome. Tobias, thank you very much for sharing your knowledge here. You're obviously a wealth of knowledge in this area, so it's been really great talking to someone that knows so much in this space that I've not really had much focus on during my career. So thank you for coming on the show and uh, yeah, all the best. Well, thank you so much. It was a great time. So that is third-party risk management, ladies and gentlemen, and some of the challenges and possibly some of the solutions that may be there out there that can help us all uh, get to grips with what is a new but very rapidly becoming critical area of procurement and supply chain skill set that we're all going to have to learn. Just a quick couple of things before we sign off. If you want to get uh, an overview of procurement software in one place in just a few mouse clicks that matches your needs, then head over to procurementsoftware.site. Also check out our LinkedIn page and sign up for our newsletter, which is in the show notes at the bottom if you'd like to get updates from us once a month on all things happening in the ProcureTech space. Until then, we will catch you again next week. Thank you very much for listening. And until then, bye for now.